And the only answer that the European governments have so far is a stronger focus and a stronger build out of renewable uh, generation capacity, because Europe is of lack of the natural resources to um, to feed its energy hunger purely on the back of fossil resources. And so um, renewables are the only way forward. Welcome to the latest Fincia podcast. Today, I'm really pleased to have Karsten Haugner of KGEL with me. He's going to give us some insights into the opportunities in re European renewables. Um, it's something I'm sure many of our institutional and wholesale investor members are, are very keen to hear about. Karsten, welcome. Hi, Lewis. Thanks for having me today. Now, I know that you're on a whistle-stop tour of Australia. You've uh, been to Melbourne, Sydney, Adelaide, uh, where you're going to be uh, talking to people. Uh, but, but before we talk about what you're, you're doing here, maybe you could give us a little bit of background about KGEL. Sure, pleasure to do so. Um, KGEL is, uh, is a Munich-based, so Germany-based uh, asset manager. We are active in this field for the last 55 years running three asset classes, which are real estate, aviation, and um, sustainable infrastructure, which in our definition is basically renewable energies. So this is all about uh, investing into real assets. Um, my role within the company is that I'm a portfolio manager within the sustainable infrastructure department, being the responsible person for the fifth vintage of the fund family we are running there. And we are currently road showering this fund to the uh, Australian investors community. Brilliant, thank you. Um, I guess it's a bit of a, a tale to work with, but um, um, you know we are hearing so much about uh, the need for renewables. Um, what are the opportunities uh, for European renewables? I mean, I, I think it, it's quite obvious that there is a need on a global scale to to counteract global warming. The indications of something that is going on in the atmosphere is, is quite obvious, right? We see increasing um, extreme weather conditions and climate uh, happenings all around the globe, floodings, fires, all this kind of stuff. And uh, this all comes on the back of, of, of um, uh, if not to, to the maximum extent, but to a certain extent of the greenhouse gas emissions that the industrial societies of this world um, are emitting. And renewables is probably one answer to that, how we can mitigate this impact and hopefully counteract a bit the global warming tendencies. So uh, this is probably something that Kegel picked up um, years ago already, um, more or less less non-targeted, but randomly by focusing on uh, sustainable infrastructure, um, where over the years we have brought over 3 billion of euros into investments. Uh, we are running more than 130 plants out of the investment portfolios we manage. And by so, we are already contributing to this kind of, of counteracting. And we are putting this a little bit more into the spotlight more recently. Um, with um, a stronger focus, an even stronger focus on the sustainable aspect of these kind of investment activities. And I know that um, um, we've spoken briefly before this and um, Ukraine has uh, focused everybody's attention a little bit more. Um, that's the case, isn't it? Sure. I mean, this is probably the second big spotlight between the uh, fighting of the climate of the global warming is special for the European community, um, a topic around uh, energy independency on the back of the conflict with Russia and the dependency of the European markets from gas imports from Russia. 
And the only answer that the European governments have so far is a stronger focus and a stronger build out of renewable uh, generation capacity, because Europe is of lack of the natural resources to um, to feed its energy hunger purely on the back of fossil resources. And so um, renewables are the only way forward for the societies. So, uh, I mean, in a nutshell, then it's um, you know a very open and welcoming market for uh, inward investment. That's um, again, is that something you'd say is the case? Absolutely. I mean, investors' interest in that market has clearly evolved over the time. Um, it was a rather niche market, new technology, very very. Um, Intransparent uh, in its development back in the 1990s when this all started, and which has now by now turned into into something which is very, very present in in everyday uh, activities. I mean, everybody is speaking about the renewables. I think, non-depending which infrastructure investor you speak to or uh, which infrastructure fund manager you speak to, everybody is exposed to a certain extent to um, renewables. Um, as a dedicated investment strategy or as a part within a broader diversified strategy. But nevertheless, the way how you invest the European market has clearly changed compared to the early days, which were more focusing on the operational side of the asset. Um, so uh, maintaining um, an operational portfolio or fleet of assets. And nowadays, um, the focus has shifted away a little bit from that. You have several uh, separate uh, strategies how you can approach the market. One still is the focus on the um, the long-term orientated operating assets orientated uh, strategies, which are probably not bringing you the yield anymore that it was to, uh, used to be uh, probably 10, 15 years ago. And one answer to this yield compression we see in the market is finding additional yield components within the industry that help you to maintain a certain risk return profile, but also help you to maintain a certain absolute level of returns to be expected out of your investments. Thank you, that's brilliant. Um, one thing, um, I mean, um, that's talked about in, in equal measures, it's uh, mentioned just as much, certainly in Australia, and I, and I know that it's something that's on everybody's um, uh, radar in Europe, and that's, um, uh, greenwashing, e- even green hushing. Um, but I mean, I, I would, you know, I'm interested to hear um, the way the European market is. I, I understand a little bit further ahead in in its its measuring. Can you give us a little bit more about what is happening there? Sure. I mean, um, I think the the demand from 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 institutional as well as from from the retail sector to do good with the investments you make, giving them a little bit of greener touch is quite obvious, right? Especially the the aging generations want to give something back to the younger generations and the younger generations, they want to see their money working in a way that is, doesn't harm their upcoming um, uh, kids and their generation. So clearly the need for this is and the, the, um, the orientation of the investment community towards this is increasing and it will continue to increase, I'm pretty sure. And this drives the question, is if every investment product that is pr- making the promise of being a sustainable one really fulfills the criteria of that. And I think we have a very unique situation in Europe, at least to my knowledge, because the Euro community or the European Commission basically introduced something that is the EU taxonomy in regards to sustainable business activities, 
And this in combination with the SFDR, the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulations, lead into a situation where in the European market you have an, 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 an let's call it a classification system. It's not really something um, more than that because it's coming out of a disclosure regulation, but it has evolved in the way how market participants recognize it. That gives you kind of a quality um, statement if or if not the underlying investment strategies are sustainable one or not. So under the SFDR, you classify um, um, financial products into three categories um, of different levels of sustainability in it. And um, with the highest level of this classification, the so-called Article 9 impact products, um, I think you can take some, some credit and some benefit out of this investment activity that it really follows sustainable investment idea. Yeah, that's, um, it, it's interesting for me. I think that um, um, that, that idea of, of having classifications and understanding around just um, what is a, a sustainable investment is, is very important. Um, yeah, and yeah, I think the, the, the big benefit on that is that it takes away from the investor the risk of judging on an investment as a sustainable one, which later then turns out to be a non-sustainable one, because you always have this independent externally audited classification on top of the product, which you can use as a key argument why you see your investment activity as a sustainable one. I think this is something quite unique to the European market environment, because I'm not aware of any other classification system around the globe basically providing this benefit. Okay, no, that's, um, as I say, I think there are lessons to be learned as as well. Um, excuse me, and how, um, you know, your trip down here to Australia, how, how successful has it been in terms of you, um, the the organisations that you've been speaking to, um, is, um, without telling us too much, how have, how's it been going? Um, quite very positive from my point of view. I mean, we, we, we did some pre-works to, um, to um, be relevant for the market. Uh, we will utilise an, an Australian feeder structure for the funds we are currently promoting. Um, and I was really surprised how deep the Australian community is into this topic of the SFDR. I really enjoyed having a couple of discussion on this topic with with um, counterparties here down in in Melbourne, Sydney, and Adelaide, and so I'm really looking forward to um, to uh, continue up after this roadshow um, with these uh, counterparties, and hopefully welcome them in the in the field of European renewable investments. And and <clears throat> we've we've spoken about the opportunities really, but there, I mean, what about the challenges? Yeah, as always in life, there are always two sides of the same story, right? I mean, um, let's keep it with the with the topic of the SFDR. As said, it's 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 a rather new um, legislation that it was put in place back in 2020. So it is still evolving, and the way how market participants deal with the requirements under it is still evolving. So um, you need to have the flexibility. Um, to react to whatever direction the SFDR is turning to. And this is probably a challenge to make sure that you can maintain um, the classification, especially in the upper ranking uh, product lines, the Article 8 or Article 9 products, that you can make sure that you are not in risk of, of being downgraded, so to say, in this scale um, towards the lower end of, of that scale. And I think this is a learning process where everybody who is um, who is um, participating in that scheme is is still on a learning curve. The regulator, the investors, 
the asset managers as well as the audit firms themselves. But um, I think this is all heading into the right direction. I think we are shaping the, the requirements and the benefits of the SFDR in a direction that it really will cause benefits um, to the um, ultimate investor under these strategies, because this is what it's aiming for, right? Creating transparency for the investor that each and every amount of money spent into a product really fulfills sustainable goals. If you take the aspect of challenges to the asset side of the business, so talking about challenges in investing into renewables, I think um, the scarcity factor has been and always will be for the foreseeable future availability of projects that help you to successfully execute your investment strategy. I mean, um, in difference to Australia, we have a very huge amount of, of, of land available. A bottleneck in Europe clearly is the availability of land sites and the um, potential for renewable generation on that specific land sites backed or basically accompanied by the um, scarcity of grid capacity as down here. Mm. Um, but the combination of these two factors mean that you need to find suitable and attractive sites early. You need to secure them early. You need to secure grid capacity on site early to make these projects work and, and basically return the yields you want to see out of the investments made. And this is the big topic around you see um, market participants in Europe answering that question in different ways. One is to securing, as I said, these kind of opportunities earlier. So we saw a couple of market participants, including Kegel, moving along the asset life of often renewable energy generating assets away from this operational phase, as I mentioned earlier, which was the initial focus point when, when investing into renewables started into construction and now into development and most recently also into the field of engaging with the project developer itself. So the famous um, platform investments, which basically help us as a fund manager to secure the, as the access to the development pipeline these platforms are maintaining. Doing so means um, bringing a certain share of the developer's margin into the fund's total returns profile. And this helps us to stabilize out the, the return profile of the investment product itself. Nevertheless, you need to follow this route on a very balanced basis between additional returns and additional risks. That's very important. You, you, you mentioned platforms, uh, platform investments. <laughs> um, can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by that? Sure. I mean, when when um, we at Kegel and basically this is broadly aligned with the market developments um, you've, we have monitored in Europe as well, when we started to um, include um, development risks into our clients' portfolios, we did this on a single asset basis, well identified um, development risks, well monitored development risks. Um, this is basically the days 2017, 2018, 2020, this time of, of the year. But this also means this is very resource intensive because you need to run the full due diligence process on the asset itself. You need to understand the regulatory regime, the approval regime under which the asset is going to realize. And over time, you learn that when you talk to the same counterparties acting in the same geographic area, so acting under the same regulatory framework, you get comp you get parallels between single asset developments um, in terms of the risks embedded in it, the quality these risks are uh, managed, maintained, and hopefully mitigated. So we felt comfortable in taking the next step, increasing a little bit the economies of scale um, by 
not only talking on a single asset basis with these project developers, but talking about their full development pipeline. And then this comes into play um, for the platform investments in the final build out. Um, we start to engage with the project developers on their corporate level, meaning that the funds take an, an equity stake in the development platform, which is basically the corporate housing, the development activity. And um, by doing that, we get full control and access on the development pipeline these guys are operating. So you have an in-house development department, if you want to put it in this words, for the fund that ensures that the fund has sufficient access to investment opportunities in the specific market. So I suppose um, that, that means you, you're more involved with the whole process. Um, is that, is that, would that be fair to say? Um, I, I think I think it's a win-win for both sides. Um, I mean, we as a fund manager, we are no project developers. It's not about um, taking on the operational profile of these guys. It's more about giving them the financial backing they need to run yeah. their business. I mean, as the market in Europe evolved, uh, more and more regulators asked for financial commitment to projects under development in terms of grid bonds, build bonds, whatever is around financial commitments. And some of the um, European developer community is simply not able to provide that due to their size and the structure of their balance sheet. And this is where this win-win situation is created because when the fund comes in, teams up with such a developer, we can provide the financial backing to allow the project developer to continue to grow his, to grow his business. And this is an interest of the developer, and this is an interest of the fund. As said, the fund get access to the asset, the developer can grow his business. And in the end, and if you're lucky and knocking woods, I hope, I think we are so, uh, you end up in a very successful uh, cooperation between the guys being closest to the asset, the developer, and us being able to help them to grow the business. Okay, uh, no, that um, uh, I think that not rounds it off nicely. Though one thing you did say, which I wanted to um, uh, mention to uh, our listeners, is that um, you are um, looking at a um, a feeder fund um, here in Australia for uh, KGAL. That that's correct, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, we have a strong focus on 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 the Australian market on the investor side, and um, we are currently in process of ramping up a feeder vehicle for the current renewable strategy as well as the upcoming um, green hydrogen strategy. Um, and I think this structure will be available for the upcoming closing of the renewable fund uh, in October. And we hope to welcome the one or the other Australian investor then. I, I'm sure you will. Um, Carsten, uh, I think we'll leave it there. But what I will say uh, is, uh, is thank you so much. It's uh, fascinating to hear uh, the opportunities there are, and I'm sure that our members will um, uh, will relish listening to it and finding out more. Um, so thank you. Thank you, Louis, for your time and the chance to speak here. Yeah, and thank you to you, all our listeners. Look out for the uh, next Fincia podcast coming soon.